Welcome to another edition of Packy Chat. This is our sixth installment of Packy Chat. Uh, this week we got together uh, again via Zoom during this crazy pandemic to talk about herd management. Again, if this is your first time listening to Packy Chat, thanks a bunch for listening. We appreciate you giving us a, a chance. Uh, if you're a regular, we appreciate it. Hope uh, whether you're, you're a newbie or a regular, uh, you check us out on Facebook, uh, Packet Chat on Facebook, and uh, give us a like, give us a follow, and give us some ideas, give us some comments, some feedback of what you heard today, or on any of them, and uh, any things you guys might want to hear in the future. Uh, we have a whole list of stuff that uh, some people have been gracious enough to share with us, um, some ideas and some thoughts on things they want to hear, and we're uh, starting to put that stuff together to... to uh, figure out when we're going to talk about it. And then uh, we're also looking at uh, some guests, some other people that can come on and uh, maybe share some time with us um, so you guys don't have to listen to the same uh, four of us every week. But let's get to it. Uh, again, this week we're talking about herd management, and thanks for listening. And one of the biggest challenges, I know people that have you know, larger herds, and there's this, a lot of term kicking around now saying family herds, but you keep these elephants together all the time. You have multi-generations and multi-age, you know, age ranges representative. One of the challenges seems to be is, you know, how do we accomplish, you know, managing what we need from them and also balancing what we think they need from their social aspect. You know, I hear some people, you know, saying that, you know, we have to keep the herd together 24 hours. That's what they're meant to be. That's what their biology says. But there's times where we also say that we may need to work with them. So how do we balance that between um, what we need to do for them, what we think we need to do to you know, optimize their care and also try to meet their needs? Is that a conflict in goals or not? Can be. I think it definitely can be. In what way? Yeah. Well, if, if the, I think the conflict is if your your you know uh, utopian view of elephant society challenges your ability or your willingness to manage individuals and provide husbandry and care and all those things, I think that's where the potentially the conflict could be. When I heard when I heard the people from Oregon Portland talk about the percentages that they spend with their elephants. It was like 3% of the day is spent working with elephants. And I think- It was, actually, it was actually two. It was 2%. Okay, okay, so 2%. And that was, was that collective or was that per elephant? That was percentage of the day. Percentage yeah, so, of yeah. 24 hours. 2% of the day. If somebody philosophically cannot put 2% of their day to working with elephants, they should not be working with elephants. That is such a small amount. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Portland um, has, a, has a good program. They can accomplish all the goals and all the, um, the behavioral components. So 2% is nothing to achieve that. And I think for someone to say that they can't do it, especially philosophically, I think is a crock of shit. And I think it was, I know it was somebody on this, on this uh, phone call right now when we were talking on the phone said something to me that really resonated that most herds in the wild probably spend more time apart distance wise than they ever could in a zoo. Yeah, I think it was me. I, I know it, it was, was you. Oh, <laughs> sorry. But yeah, and, and so to elaborate on but no, so so the amount the amount of space that we offer them, and if you look at the footprint of maximum amount of space and proximity to each other that they have, you look at a at a at a quote unquote wild situation, those animals probably are able to have more a further proximity to each other while still being together and they can self-manage their relationships and aggression and those who they like better and everything else. What we do, you know, again, and I agree, we're saying the same thing about the, the, uh, the 2%. We have a responsibility to do those things and that should not challenge your, your philosophy. It should be part of your philosophy because, you know, to your point of, if we can't do that, that's nonsensical that we can't provide that amount of time. The problem is, is I think there are folks that, that think that any disruption of elephant time or their ability to completely choose 
what to do or what not to do, you know, who to be with or, or whatever. That challenges a, a, a management philosophy that I think we all can agree is, is philosophically challenging for us because, you know, like anything, I think we owe them a certain amount of, we, we have a responsibility to them. And that response, responsibility means that we owe them a certain amount of care, whether they like it or not. I always, you know, I talk about this in other, in other venues and other forums where I say it's almost like having kids. And, you know, there are a lot of zoo people who say, I, you know, I got in the zoo business, I don't want kids or whatever. And then there's plenty of, obviously plenty of zoo people that have kids, but some people get a little itchy when we start drawing parallels. But for me, <clears throat> the responsibility to your children, if you have them, or your pets, is the same as the responsibility to the animals in your care at work. So, you know, I, I, one is I can't, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a kid who didn't at some point have to do a basket hold for them to get a vaccination or, uh, you know, have blood taken or whatever. And just like when you hand your dog off to the vet and they take it in the back, you know, the vet tech is hanging onto it while they do things. So whether or not that animal chose things to be there or willingly participates, that doesn't negate the need to have those things done. And the responsibility to the living being, both physically, mentally, socially, um, all those things, the responsibilities are the same. And so obviously, <clears throat> we'd like to provide all those things in the most um, pleasurable or non-confrontational way possible. And I agree with that. But it doesn't negate the fact that there are times where you must provide a certain level of care. And certainly you're going to try to do that through training and through, um, you know, the animals understanding what's going on and the expectations and fairness and positive reinforcement and all those things. But the thing is, is that, you know, simply moving them away from each other or, or having to do things to provide care is not a negative welfare indicator. As a matter of fact, I can name many instances where, you know, I had animals uh, that I was in charge of taking care of that actually probably thrive more in a situation where they were pulled out in a way from, from con specifics. So, you know, to, to paint everybody with the same brush is wrong. And also to assume that the things you need to do to provide a, a appropriate care are also wrong. I, that's the part I struggle with. Yeah, uh, I'll just jump in. I think that the ideal herd structure or whatever is kind of a, it's, it's a multifaceted approach, right? So you have, so the, for me, it's the three pillars of the training, the husbandry and the vet, right? So those are the three things um, on our side that we have to take care of. Like you're saying, there's certain times when you have to manage the animal and things like that. That's that 2% that Oregon was talking about. Um, I also look at like the herd structure. So what does our herd look like? Um, is it, is it multi-generational? Can it be multi multi-generational are there bulls involved young young animals um, you go into the wild and you see you see three four five teenage boys wrestling the whole time you know um, and and that's part of the the breeding group so what does your herd structure look like do you have the ability to 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 create certain situations within the herd and then the last, the last one is the one that, you know, is going to get that 90% of the time probably is the habitat life and what do they do and what, how do they live when we're not there, you know? So for me, I, I look at those three things and I think they, they have to work together and be fluid to have an ideal herd structure, right? So if you, if you don't have one, you don't have the other. So to your point, I think, you know, you could have the greatest herd structure but if you don't have the correct husbandry care and you don't have the correct vet care, well, you don't have the ideal uh, herd structure, herd management. To me, uh, it, you know, if you have the if you have the greatest training program in the world and your habitat is quite frankly horrible, then you don't have ideal herd management. But that's me. I, I think that's all those things coming together is what makes it good. And I think that's the problem with some of these programs is they take one of those things and they do it and they think that they're giving their animals ideal herd, herd management or herd structure, whatever you want to talk. Um, and I just, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how, know how you guys feel about that, but that's just kind of what I look at. I look at three different pillars and how can we combine all that to make these animals lives the best they can be. 
Oh, I completely agree with you. And, it, you know, this piggybacks on what we talked about last week. So, you know, we all know that we have some oddballs that we take care of. Um, and so you have the natural history component. You also have the individual history component and how that plays into that equation. <clears throat> and as I said a little bit earlier, that means that there are times where the, you know, the fission fusion thing is probably the best um, strategy, I guess. And again, it, it all depends. And you have animals that do great. And then you have animals that don't. But I guess what I said earlier was painting everybody with the same brushes. I think it's an individual decision. It's an institutional decision. And it's based on the composition of what you have. And all those things that you talked about, how good is your habitat? How thorough is your training program? And all those things. I also think that knowing what the goals are and knowing that at least if we all recognize that we do have the same responsibility to these animals in our charge, we've said it before, there's a lot of great trainers out there. We should be able to train this and make it as positive as possible to get these things done. I think there's a way to do that, but there's always something, you know, that, that isn't and won't fall into that group and uh, will not be considered, you know, exactly what we wanted if we could dream it up. But I think there's talent out there and everybody should be able to train anything to make it relatively, you know, positive so that, we're able to do everything that we need to do. But the recognition has to be there that that's, that is important and that providing all three of these pillars, however many there are, is really a non-negotiable. Yeah, and, and I think of it, this is a weird analogy, but if you look at like MMA fighting or whatever, those guys, you put an MMA fighter against anybody and they're gonna, they're gonna win, right? Because they can do everything. They can do jujitsu, they can box, they can kickbox, they can wrestle, they can do all of that versus a boxer who can only punch. And I'm a huge boxing fan, so it, it pains me to say this, but like an MMA fighter would tear through a boxer because they have, they have so many different facets to their game. And that's kind of how I look at it as well. Like, you know, I want as much flexibility and as many options you know, people talk about choice and control, you know, we talk about options, you know, giving the animals uh, options to do different things. So for me, again, yeah, if it's a medical emergency, and there's something going on, and I don't have the flexibility to, to be able to train the animal or have something go on um, that I need to, because I, I'm one of those pillars is not part of my program, then shame on me, right, for not doing the best I can for those animals. Yeah, so for me, you know, some of the things that are are frustrating is that a lot of the stuff, a lot of the challenges that that show up in our industry are brought on by a kind of a small minority, a small vocal minority. Um, and I'm not, and I'm by no means saying that uh, the four of us know everything because heavens, uh, you know, we learn, we're learning every day, but we have a lot of experience with, with animals in general. And you get people that are what I would consider fairly new uh, in the field that uh, are pretty vocal and because they do something at their facility their way, they believe everybody should do it that way across the board. And some of this herd management came out of this. I am all for multi-generational herds, big herds, try to get, try to get it together. I'm all for letting elephants be elephants and, and kind of go out and, and, uh, and do their thing. But I will say in our herd, uh, we have 10 elephants and we have an older, female that man she loves to be separated when 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 we bring them in at the end of the day and she sees that the stall that she normally goes in is set up for the night she gets excited she's rumbling she's down there she knows she's going to get a good night's sleep because all these other idiots aren't bugging her um and i think sometimes when um when we hear these terms uh herd management uh let elephants be elephants there's a lot of people, and I'm not saying everybody, but there's a lot of people in the industry that hear these terms and they, they take them literally. They don't want to separate elephants. They don't want to go through this. Um, for those of us that re-listened to a little of the, the thing that I just said around the other day, uh, you know, one of the first things that, that came out of that talk was the person saying uh, they don't believe in training because they don't think it's fair to separate an animal to be trained. Our elephants love to come to training. They... You will see babies from weeks, from weeks old, from weeks to months old, to older females that when they see you come down for a training set, 
I want to be next. And that means, you know, possibly leaving the group, walking to the other end of the yard, doing something. Uh, they love it. They look forward to it. When they see us bring tethers out to do tether training, they've been trained over these years. They see a rope. If we could teach them to tie a knot, they'd probably do it themselves. They lift their feet. They pick up the ropes. They do all this stuff. Um, so I don't know. I hate the blanket statements that a lot of people make about how we manage. It frustrates me because some people take it literally, even though not everyone does. Well, I, I agree with that. And, and you know, again, <clears throat> going to what I said earlier was that was because you did that. You know, like I said, we, there's a lot of talent out there and it's how you lay out expectations and how you lay out, a, you know, what a history is of training and what it means to them and that there's, there's a lot of good things that come out of it. It's what you get out of it. It's what I get out of it. So the bottom line is, yeah, I agree. If you don't do that, if you don't lay those things out and, uh, and the animals understand the expectations and that there's a huge amount of positive uh history there and there's a lot of positive things that happen during those sessions yeah of course an animal might say i'm not i don't want to be separated i'm herd bound and i you know i don't care they don't know they may not know what's in it for them so it, again as long as you have these things laid out and there's a there's a uh an appropriate fair expectation on both sides that's when you're going to get those things that's why i was saying is yeah maybe elephants by nature or or by history individual or otherwise don't want to be separated, right? Maybe they're herd bound or whatever. But if you can use the tools that we have and the skill that we have as trainers and um, as animal managers to say, no, no, this is important and I'm going to make this as positive as possible, then you get exactly what you just laid out. And that's the key. If you don't ever interject that philosophy or that or challenge yourself or, or lay out the strategies of your management program to say this is important, you may never get there. And then you're going to go, yeah, it's not fair to separate. But, but we've seen, like you said, and I've, I've experienced, I've had mothers who need a break from their calves, not, not when they're still super dependent and young, but, you know, and by, by giving them a break, I also don't mean that we uh, isolate them and segregate them. We just might say, hey, are you going to take a break for a few hours? And you can still canoodle through you know, through a barrier or whatever. But again, it, it's up to us to take the cues from them to apply what we know and to make, you know, to be able to, to sort of uh, check all the boxes on all the things that we need to do. The bottom line though, is that you need to have a clear expectation of what all those boxes are you want to check. And then like you were alluding to is that, yeah, there are animals who are absolutely all about it, but you have to get them accustomed and introduced and exposed to that to know that they will quote-unquote enjoy it or at least certainly not be opposed to it and that's our job to do that and again is you know especially all those great trainers out there there is no question we should be able to like you were saying we should be able to train them to put restraints on themselves and give themselves injections and I, in some places do frankly and that's that's you know the the measure of all these great trainers that we hear to me i agree there's a lot of great trainers out there and they should be able to do all these things and and have the animals happily participate in yeah, there's a couple of things you guys touched on. Um, somebody said the phrase, let them be elephants. Um, we've all been hearing that through our whole careers. And then um, asking what that means, um, repeatedly over and over, it's like, well, we should be looking at their biology. We should be looking at their natural situation and try to, in our care, we should try to mimic that as best as possible. One of the questions I'm, I'm curious about is that, you know, how, how do good of a job do we say that we create a natural situation. Certainly, there's, or there could be subsets of a certain herd that are more herd bound than others. But is it natural for the same herd to be together 24 hours a day, 365 days a year? I think there's enough literature out there to support that that may not be true. So are we really setting up a natural situation? And a lot of the animals in our care, maybe we don't have the habitat size, or the resources are all in kind of a finite area. The elephants don't have to separate. So I don't think it's always necessary or natural, if you want to call it, or look at their biology that this group of elephants has to be together all the time. I think we set that situation up and we've taught them that, and that might not naturally occur you know, in, um, in their range countries. Somebody also mentioned about you know, training. There is a lot of great trainers out there. And then uh, somebody mentioned too, the elephants are get excited when they get to see their training sessions. If our elephants aren't getting motivated and excited to see our training sessions or participate in our training sessions, then we have to 
evaluate how good are, they, are these re, uh, reinforcers that we're doing? How valuable is that training session for the elephants? Now, I'm all for you know, the animals choosing to be where they want to be and who they want to be, but I think we are part of that equation. It's okay for them to choose to be with us and participate with us because it, it is reinforcing. It doesn't always have to be that the elephant has to choose to be with other elephants 24 hours a day. And really, like we said before, the amount of time that we're even asking them to come and spend time with us to accomplish our goals is quite minimal. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, when we say let elephants be elephants and we want elephants to be, you know, when we or the collective, we say let elephants be elephants. And what, what does that mean? You know, creating the most normal, natural herd structure and all those things. You know, if you go, if you go to a range country and see elephants, odds are one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to aggress towards you, come after you or run away from you. Neither of those two things are really things that we want to see and, and elephants that we're trying to take care of. So it just goes back to what we can, the strategies that we can employ. And you were just talking about the, you know, what are our, are our strategies working on? You know, we're always going to have a situation where we need to, we need to care for an elephant. And if it hasn't happened yet, we haven't had a sickness or an emergency or an injury, it's going to happen. And if we don't have the tools to do that, I think there's work where we, you know, whoever that is, it's completely irresponsible to do those things. And also yeah. animals together, you know, as an implied positive welfare uh, indicator that if they're together, that's positive. Well, you know, I, again, not to anthropomorphize, but if we were going to ask, if we could ask those elephants, or certainly we try to read behavior, we know that that's not necessarily the case. We know that there are elephants who thrive in social situations, they may thrive with time apart. Um, we monitor and we meter out the, the social situations and we put them with more, you know, less compatible animals for certain periods of time because that's what we know best. Is it ideal? No. And are we 100% right all the time? Also no. But I also think that that's what we need to be doing. We need to be constantly evaluating that, our, our management program and all the components of it to be sure that we're doing the best that we can. And I don't think that any, um, you know, we can, we can overlay huge philosophical components to the program. And, and over time, we might be able to move the needle towards animals that are more or less uh, comfortable <clears throat> with certain things, whether that's social time or training time or certain medical procedures or, you know, being neophobic of a lot of things, whether it be strangers or veterinarians or ERDs or, you know, restraint, whatever it is. Again, it's all it's our responsibility to make sure that we lay those things in the most and I'm sure we'll get to it, but it behooves us to have the most resilient animals that we can, whether that's in a social situation or whether that's in a, in a managed husbandry situation for us provi providing direct care and the ability to do that. That is paramount to have something that we can we from a management perspective, but also elephants can adapt to all these different situations so that we, we're sure that we can provide what's necessary in a bunch of different situations and needs when they, when they come up and they will come up. You said something earlier that I'm, I'm sure I thought about, but it didn't come to mind in this conversation was uh, about separation and herd bounds. And I think the more we let, we create this environment of, of keeping everyone together all the time, when you do have to separate them, holy cow, I think the shit's going to hit the fan between them. And the second thing is anyone that's ever heard me talk about, elephants and and the herd we have here it's about being resilient and about uh, we strive every day to to make them more resilient and to make them uh to make their environment irrelevant uh when it comes to change um you know we like to throw so much at them and and i agree completely one of these one of those aspects is is separation um never knowing when you're going to come out of the herd never knowing who you're going to go with um you know we we get into, at least at our place, we get into a rut of always putting elephants together and moving them the same way. And we got to remind ourselves to, to kind of shuffle things. You know, you use the word resilient and um, not to keep going back to comparing, you know, kids to elephants. I would say one of the, um, you know, the best thing my wife and I did with our young kids is that um, we know there's maternity time, paternity and paternity time. There's times where, we have to go back to work. So we, um, we started putting them in daycare. We started to, uh, you know, 
you know, for lack of a better word, teach separation with our kids. And when it came to the first day of kindergarten, um, for my family, the only tears I ever shed was by mom and dad, not necessarily the kids, because they were used to, um, you know, going off. And the reason why mom and dad shed tears is because it was just a, um, you know, a big part of their lives that, you know, and you're excited and, and happy and, and nervous for them. But the same thing, too, we invested in our kids, for example, so that um, I see some of these other kids that took um, two or three teachers to pry them off their mom or dad for their first day of kindergarten. Um, and there's no approximation, you know, to that kindergarten um, at that day. First day of school is first day of school. But, you know, we're investing in, you know, in my kids early on, I think, um, helping build that resiliency that's, that we can carry on for the rest of their lives. It's no different with our elephants as well. We teach them it's okay to be separate. Um, you know, another question I ask is that, you know, we seem to focus a lot on, the, I guess, the elephant that we are, that we are separating or um, them choosing to take time with us. Um, I hear a lot of um, concern about what the rest of the herd does when an, an individual is, um, chooses to be somewhere else or separated out. Um, we seen that it's, a, it's an equal investment in not only that one or two or three or whatever subset of the herd that we choose to ask to separate, um, but it's equal investment to the rest of the herd as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, you know, it's something I don't think we, me personally, don't think about as much. Like, what does that mean for the rest of the herd when you when you pull it out? I always, I when I when I think of young ones and their moms, I you know I like to make sure that obviously both of them are comfortable with being separated from each other. But that's a good point. I know personally, I don't give that enough thought to to what how what the impact is on the rest of the herd. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I worked at a, <clears throat> one of the first place I ever worked with elephants. We used to do uh, separations, and uh, the animal that we pulled out generally was okay with with doing it. Um, but every time we did it, we had three animals at the time. But every time we did it, the other two that were left in the yard used to go bananas, and it, not in a horrible way. I mean, it was almost, I think, a, maybe potentially a little bit enriching. But we didn't really worry about them. You know, we just let them, you know do their thing and go cuckoo. And we did what we had to do with the one particular elephant that we were working with. And we, we separated them out. Um, we didn't see anything particularly negative with the animal that we, that we pulled out, but it's, yeah, it's the same sort of thing. It would have been nice to say on both sides that, you know, there's something positive um, for those of you that are not going to come participate in this session. And there's something obviously positive for the one that is going to come um, for the, for the session. And I don't know that, it might have been the you know again trying to figure out what happened you know 20 years ago but you know the other elephants might have been like hey what are you picking that one for you know hey we know they're getting grain when they come inside hey we know they're going to go through a session and get treats whatever we're not real you know don't leave us here kind of thing i don't i don't know but the thing is i guess you bring up a great point is that both of it, sh it should there should be positivity and uh something good i guess or something to look forward to on both sides, whether it's the one who's been pulled out to actively been worked with or separated or the ones that have not, you know, um, and what does that animal mean? I guess a lot of it might, you know, depending on your um, specific hierarchy or composition of your group, that animal that's being taken out or separated for a period of time, what does that mean? Does that throw anything off in the group that we need to consider to make sure that, um, we're, you know, covering all our bases to make sure that someone's not going to get picked on or, Someone's not going to feel slighted because they didn't get, you know, they know that something good's happening in there and they're not getting it. Maybe, you know, so you bring up a good point. Um, and I, like I said before, I think we have the ability to uh, manage all of that. And, uh, and I think we have the skill and the, the desire and the, our hearts are in the right place as far as elephant management is concerned to make sure all that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the evolution of our business industry for a little bit too? Cause when I hear let elephants be elephants or the word choice and control, you know, those kind of those uh, catch words, catch phrases that are going around now. And I think that, you know, people ask me about choice and control all the time. And I say, everybody uses it, right? We don't all say, Oh, we're choice and control programs, or we don't let elephants be elephants. Everybody lets elephants be elephants, right? It's just a matter of your lingo and what you do. And I think the people that are 
on the on that bandwagon for lack of better terms i think they see you know the people that don't let elephants be elephants um they don't see the last you know 20 30 40 years of progression i think they see still see some programs as in the 1970s and this is what they did and you know they they elephants were by themselves for you know the the, the people that will tell you like hey, you know, don't separate, don't separate. It's because they still view the people that separate as the people that separate them for 18 hours a day or whatever. And that's just not the case anymore with any of our programs, right? Um, so, you know, I, I think there should be some, there should be some uh, credit due to our industry for the evolution of what we've done and the fact that we are all doing very good positive things with our animals. It's just not seen by everybody, I guess, if that makes sense, even within our industry. Yeah, I mean, it's not being seen, but it doesn't want to be seen, I don't think, because there's enough opportunity, there's enough talks at conferences that show the great things people are doing, but yet there's still, you know, the, the final word is discussed, uh, is lumped together in a discussion that, that you know, the, the collective population does it this way and, and that way. So... I, I don't think people want to believe there's change or they don't want to accept that that it's changing because I think they don't want to accept that it's changing because it ain't changing to be exactly like they want it to be. That makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But I think that's where, you know, I say it all the time, you know, we're all in the same fight together to try to save a species. Right. Um, and we, we have to be open-minded to other programs and what other people are doing and know that, you know, uh, somebody on this call says it all the time. Like if there were, if there were animals still being uh, mistreated or whatever, you would see it on Facebook, right? There'd be a video tomorrow. Right. And I think that's where people miss the mark is the fact that like, they don't, I don't know what the words are, but I just don't see us. Yeah. Being, being accepting to other programs when we should be on both ends. So, um, and, I'm in certain situations where I see it the other way too. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. And I, I think, uh, like you said, yeah, well, you can go to all the conferences and people are going to take what they want out of it. But I just, I just wanted to, to, to stamp down the point that like, it, it's, it's not 1960 anymore, right? We all, <laughs> we're, we're all taking care of elephants pretty optimally. Um, even when they're separated from another, um, con-specific for 15 minutes while they're being trained. You're getting on that point a little bit. We've had, I've had a mom that had, had a baby. And like, like somebody said before, it's not, you know, for hours on end. It's, you know, for a 10-minute training session. And they, they like it, man. We would, we would separate a mom from, uh, I think, half. And, um, and to give her her own ration of hay, because she's nursing, she needs more energy, all of that, right? So you separate her in the afternoon for 15, 20 minutes to give her her own ration so she can eat uh, in peace. And she absolutely loved it. I'm not trying to anthropomorphize, but like you could tell, like she's kind of relaxed and like, whew, thank you. Let me eat in peace for once <laughs> for 20 minutes a day, man. That's all I ask for. I mean, all of us that have kids, you know, you know that, you know, having a dinner date with your wife or having some alone time, some me time is pretty healthy mentally. So I think we don't give our elephants or what we do enough credit for doing that as well. From when these elephants are days old, literally days old, we encourage them to want to be by us. We make ourselves reinforcing um, so that they're comfortable leaving their moms and that mom's comfortable with them going on. Um, so that when that time comes and they're two, three, whatever, or when their time comes when they're three years old and mom's ready to give birth to another baby again, and mom is starting to kick that baby off, you know, it's not as, it's not as stressful for the little one. So yeah, building that foundation at the, from day one is so important. Yeah. And, and layering in humans as part of their life, you know, it's not what, you know, we need to do that. And to your point is, yeah, not, you know, layering ourselves into the equation, not as a distraction or not as the most important thing, but certainly as a, as a significant component of, what's going to be their future moving forward. They're going to see us every day. 
dropping hay and asking them to do things and shift and train and all those things. There's no question. So to layer that in is the responsible thing to do, you know, and, and going back to what was said about separating um, calves is, you know, and certainly to the point you just made about mom's getting ready to have another one. We, I've seen wean, you know, animals weaning that, you know, the world's getting rocked a little bit. Mom's, you know, throwing elbows when they try to nurse and things and display, you know, there were times I've seen displaced aggression on bollards. And that was, that was telling me that giving them a break is a good thing. So, you know, I think in certain situations, mom was happy to get the break and that was reinforcing. But then we also needed to find a way to change the fact that we knew that it was probably less, less positively reinforcing to that young animal. So we need to find a way to make that work for that animal because we knew just by doing it was working for the, for the, for the, for the mother. But I want to go back just a second to when we talked about the evolution of our, of our business. And there's no question there's been evolution. It, but to me, it's always the question and the difference between evolution and revolution. So the things that we've done, the incremental changes that we make over time, I know that most of us, you know, we've been in the business a couple of, couple of three decades and things have changed a lot. And I think we could all agree that there's things that we have done in the past that we, you know, wouldn't do again, not because they were terrible or, you know, would get us in trouble or anything like that. Just, just we've evolved to say, hey, there's a better way to do it. I've learned more, you know, but it doesn't mean that we take all those things that, that may still apply and be relevant and work and throw them away just because we have to layer in this new philosophy and this new, you know, revolution in how we manage these animals. I think evolution is the perfect thing. It's these small incremental changes that bring us to a better place. And it doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater from before. It means that, no, you take the things that work and you carry them forward. And those things that don't work, you pitch them. But that's, that's what evolution is. Instead of saying, Hey, we have to do a whole new way. And then if anything resembles what, something if anything resembles the way it was done before that's automatically a bad thing i don't think that's i don't think that's the right thing to do uh, again i think we need to look at all of these things and make sure that we're checking all our boxes one we again we have to have that we have to have that accurate list of the things that we want to accomplish and then as long as we're checking those boxes in in the safe humane and effective manner and we can all say nope this is good we we you know institutionally or as an industry we can say no this works this is what we want to be doing because as we've said before we all share these animals. There's, there's a good chance that uh, one of us will end up with, you know, other animals from other institutions. And I always show that slide about the horses, you know, the, the, I, and I don't have it with me now, but long story short on that is that the best thing we can do is prepare them for everything prepare them for everything. And then when they go to another institution, they're the better for it. Not to say, okay, well now you got to come here and this is the way we do it now. And it's a complete, you know, it's a complete, uh, shift in, in everything that they understood being moved from another institution is a big enough deal. So I think it behooves us to do all those things and to take the things that worked and move them forward uh, in the business, but also share them from institution to institution for the benefit of the elephants. Cause the elephants don't care about our politics. They only know what they know and they've been exposed to what they've been exposed to. You know, we talked a lot about, um, you know, separation of, let's say family units, you know, when we look at a family or at least genetically related family, um, there's a lot, a lot bigger pool that will accept or argue that those elephants need to be together more often. And we talk about family, well, you can't separate, you know, you know, sisters, you can't separate mom from babies. But if we look at many of us have herds that are unrelated, and then we, is it just as important that we look at them? Is it just important that those elephants need to be together 24 hours? Um, as a general rule, I think that we would accept, or a lot of us would accept that it's more quote unquote natural for a related, genetically related family to be together for a greater period of time. Does that mean unrelated elephants are not families? Does that mean unrelated elephants is not as important for them to be together? You know, our collective experience, I think we'd argue that there's many elephants out there that are genetically related, but they've also been together for um, 10, 20, 25 years of their lives. So we say, well, that's their family, that's their herd, even though they're not genetically related. I think it's, it's to make a broad stroke to saying that all elephants need to be together 24 hours um, can be... Um, a little bit irresponsible. I think we have to look at their behavior and, and is it the best for each of our elephants 
for their wellness standpoint is to be together with all the other elephants 24 hours a day. It's kind of a conflicting, um, you know, it's kind of conflicting for me to say that we want to give the elephants choice and control in their lives so they can choose who they want to be with and when they want to be with. But it's also important that the herd stays together all the time. Sometimes that can be conflicting. Just because an elephant chooses to be away from another elephant, does that mean its welfare is impacted negatively? If we allow that to happen, does that mean that we are doing our elephants a disservice for not being together 24 hours a day? Or do we argue that let them be elephants is also part, and, uh, a part of letting them be elephants is choosing that they're away from other elephants. You know, it was mentioned before that fish infusion method um, of management style, that has become more prevalent in, in animals and different species in our care. And some with animals that are arguably um, just as intel intelligent as elephants. Um, are we saying that's a not a good way to do that, that it's not good for, let's say, a, a chimp troop to be together for 24 hours a day? Or do they need to be together as an entire troop? Just like we would argue, for some people would argue that elephants need to be together as one herd 24 hours a day. I think it goes back, part of it goes back to what we talked about earlier about <clears throat> your goals, right? And then also the tools and resources that you have to give them. You know, for instance, let's just say, you know, you had animals that, you know, they got all, you, you managed them a certain way. Well, then let's say you renovated your facility and you now have, you know, multiples, you know, of space as far as the, the amount of space that you have have now increased by, you know, exponentially. Well, that may shift the way you manage them. And that may mean that you now have more tools available to you um, because that philosophy may be more applicable now because you have the ability to have, you know, flight, flight distance or proximity or whatever. So one is you got to look at your goals, but also look at what you have. We all have limitations on what we're able to do. We all wish we had certain things that we don't have in, in resources, regardless of what it is. But I think you also, you think about what your goals are and then how you're able to apply them and be realistic about the, the constraints that you have. And that may change things. You know, if you have, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a, uh, an institution that has, you know, a, a, a cold climate and you don't have a humongous room indoors, climate control, that may change the way you, you manage your elephants, not because you like it or not because you think it's ideal. It's just working within the constraints realistically that you have and making sure you're doing the best with what you have. Things change, you know, that whether it's the, the dynamic or the group that you have, or whether you're like we talked about, whether you um, renovate a facility and now you have more room and more things at your disposal that could change things, but we have to be realistic about our constraints. And uh, it would be great if utopia exists, existed at every institution, whether it's because you had all the space you needed or you had compatible animals or you had whatever. But I just think, you know, having what you think would be the best case scenario is, is um, something you continue to work for and, and an ideal that you hold as important. But I also think you manage within the constraints that you have um, for the best, you know, the best outcome for the animals you have. You know, the first question I would ask myself is, can they naturally do that, right? So animals out in nature are going to naturally do the fission fusion. And that's where that idea came from, right? They'll come in, go out as they please. If, so if you ask yourself, can they naturally do that? Yes or no. If they can, then, you know, great. You're set up for success. You have enough space. You have, you know, you know, your, your animals are on 60 acres or whatever it is. Um, then that's great. But if they can't, then now it comes back to a synthetic environment, which we all are a part of. And how do we manage that vision fusion to make it successful and to replicate that to the best of our abilities in the situation that we're in. So I think that's more of the, the question for me is, do, can, they, can they naturally do it? Can they do it on their own? Or do we need to manage that situation? I think we need to, I think we need to manage sort of everything to some degree. And that doesn't mean actively choosing for them and actively making them do things or whatever it is. But you know, this piggybacks onto the last, uh, conversation that we had about the introductions. You know, we all know that you have animals that let's say you put them together and they stand at opposite ends of the habitat and don't interact or one doesn't care for the other, whatever. Well, now let's say you put them in two adjacent yards with a barrier between them. And let's say that they actually feel more confident and comfortable to interact, 
you know, through those, through the, I mean, I, I, at the institution I work now, I see that. I mean, we have animals that would be as far apart as they could possibly be if they were together. And we have animals, frankly, that we don't yet put together because of some of their uh, social some of their social propensities, I guess. But when we put a barrier between them, we can actually see more positive social interactions, or at least social interactions that that are uh, that have less consequences, uh, you know, negative consequences for both. So, you know, again, the artificial nature of what we do and and our abilities to manage it. Again, we talked about the 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 flight distance and fission and fusion if we don't have the ability to do that because of the constraints that we have then there's ways that we can potentially do it that are i guess more artificial but you can utilize things like you know barriers and adjacent spaces and things to actually encourage uh sociability between animals that may not exist and and also as we talked about last time we can use those to test boundaries and see how things are going to go just when we put animals together but um but I think that, that that's an important component um, to how we manage. So because we all know that we don't have, you know, most of us don't have tens of acres of space. So we utilize it the best we can, but that still provides opportunities for socialization, even if they can't share space. And I think we should, you know, one is not good and one is not automatically bad because there may be, you know, a barrier or animals can't physically share space. I think we need to you know, be realistic and see what works for, for us and our institutions and our animals. I think it's just a matter of being realistic about uh, what's good and what's not so good about your situation, whether it's resources or the, the social history of your animals or the health status of your animals or all those things. It's just being realistic about them and doing everything that you can within responsible limits to, to um, provide the, the, I guess, the paramount or the maximum amount of care that you're able to do at your partic in your particular situation. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on the, you know, like I said before, you know, the first thing you should ask is can they, can they separate themselves if they want to, right? Um, do they have that ability? And, and I agree with you 100%. A lot of times that answer might be no, and so we have to manage that. Or, you know, does the, does the animal feel more comfortable on the other side of a barrier? Everybody, again, thinks that, that these animals should be together 24-7. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, you have to look at every individual and what's best for their wellness, right? And being with another animal 24-7 may not be, but they may love, you know, sharing a fence line with that same animal, you know? So again, I think to, to have a, the ideal herd management for me is looking at every individual animal, seeing what their needs are, what are your pillars, what do you stand by, and and going accordingly. You, fission fusion may not be best for you. This animal may not be best to be with that animal. And who are we to tell you any different, right? Because I'm gonna walk into your zoo and be there for one day. I don't know, you know? So you gotta do what's best for each individual. And within that, you look at your strengths, your weaknesses, and your pillars, and put that together, and you should have a pretty darn good elephant program. Yeah, one of the things that I've um, employed, I guess, a philosophy, I guess, most of the places, all the places I've worked, we've done, you know, what I consider to be an appropriate and a, a large amount of management of the animals. And one of the things that we said was everything that we do from a husbandry training standpoint should support, not detract from their time, quote unquote, being elephants. So for instance, there were animals that we put, you know, a group of eight animals together every day and they'd be out on a, you know, five or six acre yard and um, they did pretty well. And, but the funny part was, is that there were things that we would not do during training and management and husbandry because we knew that not only did it not support their relationships when they were out and had more space and, flight distance and, you know, choices to interact or not interact, it actually detracted from it. So we made sure that all of our husbandry and training and our elephant management program, you know, the part that we actually, when we were interacting with the animals and the things that we did, the places we put them and the way that we fed them and the way that we housed them and, and separated them and kept them together, it only supported what we wanted to see when we weren't around. And that was hugely important. And we, we considered that 
in everything that we did because we not only did we want to make it better, we certainly didn't want to make it worse. But we also knew that we had a responsibility to take care of them as best we could. So you had to balance those two things. It was, and it's a delicate balance. And we had to change things over time because personal, um, you know, individual relationships change between animals, and that threw thing that threw a wrench in the gears. But we had to keep going with that. We also didn't say, hey, wait a minute, you guys are changing the rules, but you don't understand. This, these are the rules that we operate, and you have to go here, and you have to go here. We changed on the fly with them, but we knew, and it was of paramount importance that everything that we did supported what we wanted to see as best we could in that natural, if you will, or as natural looking a group as it, as it could be, and making sure that you know we didn't have animals that uh, were not happy to to, to share elephant time. We wanted to support that as best we could. And everything that we did was um, toward that goal. So even though that we layered in a pretty heavy amount of training and husbandry and management, we also equally, the, the elephant time was important and we wanted to make sure that what we did um, was uh, supportive and, and helped it grow rather than limit it. Yeah, and something you said there really, you know, strikes a chord with everything we're saying but on the other on the other side is that i think the the team the human aspect of it needs to be just as resilient as the animal aspect of it and uh know that things aren't just black and white that you know there, there needs to be changes on the fly there needs to be uh some adaptations to the to the the plan as things go along and we need to work together with the elephants to be successful and not just say hey this is what we're doing and, and we're going to make it work. So I think that's a, you know, what you just said kind of emphasizes that. You know, I really like, um, you know, the focus saying that we talk about herd management, but it's, and we like to talk about the whole herd, but it's really important to talk about each specific elephant and what their needs are because each elephant specific needs may not be congruent to the entire herd so i like the idea that we kind of focus on that and that that specific elephant um, their needs can change as they go through their life and as they um, go through their life stages or different things happen so we talk about herd management you know i think sometimes some people get lost in thinking that they are just one big group of great things but a herd is actually a bunch of little great things making up a really big herd. So I really like the idea of you guys, of what you mentioned before about focusing on the individual elephants um, when we talk about herds as well. Yeah, and I think a herd is a bunch of little gray things and a lot of people. You know, I think, I think the herd, I think, you know, I'm not talking about them thinking, up as a, thinking of us as a part of the herd or whatever, but, uh, we play a big factor in that. So when I think of the herd, I think of staffing, I think of everything and, and try to manage it that way. Well, and for most of us, a herd is what we get. You know, we, we got what we got and we got to make the best of it. And it's, you know, it's our responsibility to exercise all the choices and options. And, you know, like we talked about layering in all the things that we know we need to do to get to that, the best case scenario for, you know, the individual institution and the individual animals that you have, because yeah, of course we could go, Hey, wouldn't it be great to get this, this and that, or switch animals out or have some babies or whatever it is. But you know, we need to do the best with what we have, but we know that we are, like we said earlier, we always have these constraints, resource constraints, uh, space constraints, and you know, maybe weather constraints, but we need to do the best that we can with what we have. And even knowing that it's not perfect, but again, I think the uh, making sure we're we're all on the same page with and from institution to institution. And boy, it would be great as an industry to to agree with these things. But I think we're not we're not there yet, as we've talked about. But uh, I think we're getting there. And I, again, I think that the the evolution part is important, and the sharing is important. Um, we don't need we don't need revolution. We need we need to continue the the conversations and the information sharing because. It, like I said earlier, it doesn't, they don't, the elephants don't care about our politics. If we can get on the same page and provide everything and, and incorporate all the positive things that we know and share our experiences for the things we know don't work, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. It, it only benefits the elephants to get rid of the cruddy stuff and to make sure that we're implementing the positive stuff because they don't, you know, they don't see the Facebook posts and they don't, come to the meetings and hear the dissension or whatever it is, it's, it's most important that they 
reap the the rewards of us getting our crap together and and leaving the other stuff out of it. And I think to the point earlier, I don't think it matters what your philosophy is on herd management, whether you're your 2% is 5% or your 2% is 100% or 0% or whatever it is, humans are involved. So, you know, I look at the three things that I wrote down as, you know, those three pillars or whatever, and there's human interaction in all three of them. So I think that's a great point that was made earlier that the humans are heavily involved, whether you, whether you think you're just uh, doing the greatest thing and letting elephants be elephants 24 seven, you're still heavily involved, whether you realize it or not, you know? You know, I don't know where it became taboo for animals in our care. It's for some reason a bad thing spending time with the humans that are responsible for their care. Um, I don't know why that gets viewed as a negative part of it, especially when we're asking for such a small amount. Um, somewhere, you know, I'm quite proud to work in a program and the programs I've worked in the past where the elephants are very much elephants. They don't. They don't think they're humans. The, the people that are caring for them don't think they're elephants. Um, that we're not exactly the same, but they do choose at times to be with us and spend time. I think that's something to be proud of, nothing to, not something to be ashamed of. And for some reason, I just don't understand why that's become a negative thing in our industry. Well, it's a, it's a strong statement. So I think that they should, you know, we are involved, as we've said. These are animals that are in under human care. No question about it. If we see ourselves as anything but positive, we're, do, we're not doing ourselves nor the animals a favor. So we need to re, you know, come to the realization that we are part of the lives, uh, each other's lives, like it or not, this is how it's going to be. And if we can't argue that the time spent with each other is not positive, then holy moly, have we got some issues to work through. And... So that's why I think it, it's, it should be of pinnacle importance to make sure that regardless of what your philosophy is, we are going to interact with those animals. We need to, I, we need to uh, interact with those animals. So we, it's our job to make sure that it's appropriate. And there comes a time that, no, like we talked about earlier, is that no matter what your philosophy is, there's gonna come, there's gonna, a time is going to come where there's going to be an injury, an illness, uh, whatever it is, and we have to be part of it. If we're, not, if we're not a positive thing to be viewed, that's going to make everything just more difficult. If we're trying to get messages across to the people that visit our institutions and to say that we are somehow, um, you know, we, we just fade into the background and you visitors fade into the background and all this. Thing. No, that's not, that's, not a, that's not the way it is. Not for animals under human care. We can, we can make conservation uh, messaging and arguments for those animals that are out there, but there's no question that uh, we should be part of that because again, <laughs> our philosophy, I don't know if the animals get it. So if we're walking around all day long and you have animals that are seeking out attention, we all know that there's animals out there that are more uh, akin to being around people than other elephants. You know, that's obviously the minority, but we, we need to be realistic about the fact that we're around these animals 40, at least 40 hours a week and usually in close proximity. So to, to try to make some uh, situation that to exist where they ignore us and we ignore them and we're disruptive to them and anything that we do is potentially disruptive. That's, that's not realistic. You know, I, 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 as, as was stated earlier, we have a responsibility to them and the best thing that we can do is have a cooperative working relationship with those animals that the expectations are clear on both sides. They know what to expect and they know what, you know, that, that we're fair with them and they know what to expect they know what's in it for them and we know what's in it for them. And then I think everything's going to be obviously a lot better because, you know, the other thing that we've said this numerous times is that if an animal leaves your institution and comes to mind, they have to learn a completely new situation. You know, again, I don't think that's fair either. I think the elephant business and the industry that cares for animals and in general, but certainly with elephants is that we should have a certain level of expectation that this is, this is the way it is to make it as good as it can possibly be. Knowing that we can do a great job, it's not utopia, but we can do a great job. And I, I think we could at least agree on that. I don't know if you guys see the same thing, but at our, at our zoo right now, because we're closed, a lot of these animals, not just elephants, a lot of these animals see someone walk by and they're like, ah, 
like excited to see <laughs> to see somebody walk by the right the front of the exhibit. It's crazy. You see reactions from animals now. I mean, there's definitely species in our place um, that love it. Like we have a bald eagle that um, it was happy as a clam that no one's at the zoo. But there's a lot of animals that um, really, I don't want to use the word disappointment, but are like, what? What the heck? Where is everybody? So I agree with everything you said. No, and, I, and, I've, and we've noticed the same thing is that, you know, I, I spend a lot of time um, getting out and about in the zoo when I'm, when I'm at work. And there is no question that there's a completely different dynamic between me, you know, the, the, the human being walking by the exhibits than, than existed even when the zoo was closed before it opened. You know, when we were having yeah. visitors, there's definitely a different dynamic in place. And I would not, I would say that there's, there's a positive. I, I certainly wouldn't say that this leads to any sort of negativity as far as zoos, positive, negative, guess, positive, negative. I think that there's definitely a positive thing when a human walks by these exhibits, these animals are all about it, which is actually kind of cool to see. Well, that'll conclude another episode of Packy Chat. Thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Once again, Packy Chat is just about some conversation. Uh, hopefully maybe th let you think about things and uh, we certainly don't push an agenda or tell you how to do things. Uh, we just share our experiences and our opinions and you can take what you want, leave what you don't. And that's kind of how we roll. So for those of you that listened, thanks a bunch. Tell your friends if you liked it. Uh, I guess tell your friends if you didn't like it. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us and uh, hopefully we'll get something good coming next week. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.